Welcome. I'm so glad you're all here to enjoy the warm, warm love of the Father and the people of God here. Um, This morning, we're beginning a a new sermon series entitled, Jesus Lead Us. And we'll be walking through chapters 14 through 17 of the Gospel of John and looking at all the ways that Jesus leads us like the good shepherd he is. Um, We'll be talking about the way, thank you, um, Jesus leads us to the Holy Spirit, Jesus leads us into fruitfulness, Jesus leads us into joy, Um, and this morning we're going to talk about the ways that Jesus leads us home. Now, there's a fascinating book that came out pretty recently called The Body Keeps the Score, Um, and it talks about how trauma affects our bodies and our minds and then examines how we heal from trauma. In his book, the author, Bessel van der Kolk, describes an event that happened to a five-year-old boy named Noam, who is the son of friends of his. On September 11, 2001, Noam and his fellow first-grade classmates witnessed an airplane smashing into the World Trade Center less than 1,500 feet from their classroom. This was just moments after Noam's dad had dropped him off, and with the help of teachers, Noam was quickly able to find his father, grab his father's hand, and run home. Noam and his father literally ran for their lives all the way home and arrived safely there. Just about a week later, the author, Vandal Kolk, visited Noam's family, and he looked at a picture that Noam had drawn um, around 9 a.m. on September 12th just the morning after. Um, He drew a picture of what he had seen. And here's how the author describes the picture. The drawing depicted what Noam had seen the day before. An airplane slamming into the tower, a ball of fire, firefighters, and people jumping from the tower's windows. But at the bottom of the picture, he had drawn something else, a big black circle at the foot of the building. I had no idea what it was, so I asked him. A trampoline, Noam said, so that the next time when people have to jump, they will be safe. Vanderkolk was astonished at how quickly Noam was not only able to start processing the tragedy that had affected him, but how quickly he was able to start exercising his imagination on behalf of helping others. Vanderkolk goes on to describe how certain factors can lessen the negative impact of trauma in our lives. And two of these factors are illustrated in Noam's story. One is just the ability to flee trauma, to leave it. Um, And another is the ability to return to a safe place to heal. In other words, how quickly we can return home. Having a connection to home, finding a place of safety and nurture that's full of people who love you, is immensely important for survival and for thriving in this world. And I would add to these two factors a third one that may have played an even bigger role in Noam's ability to recover, the presence of his father. Not only was he able to run away, not only was he able to return home quickly, but he did so with his daddy. Noam had the guidance and comfort and protection of a loving father who literally took him by the hand and led him home. Our need for home 
is real. We need a place that is safe and nurturing, inhabited by people who love us. And because that's not always the case, the idea of home can be loaded. Some of us grew up in houses dominated more by pain and anger than by love and safety. Some of us pass through a series of temporary homes very quickly, um, maybe moving through a series of foster homes or a home that had a rotating cast of adults in it. Some of us grew up in reasonably stable nurturing homes, but after launching out on our own, we really struggled to recapture a sense of belonging and of purpose and of home and of family. And many of us grew up in homes that were a mix of healthy and unhealthy, and as adults on our own, we were in the process of making sense of all of that. Have you ever lived through a season of homelessness? Literal or spiritual or relational? Perhaps you've witnessed the collapse of a much beloved community or the disintegration of a key relationship in your life. Maybe you felt the bedrock of your faith tremble and crack. Maybe you fear that the democracy that our culture is founded on is under threat. It is into just such a situation that Jesus speaks to his disciples in today's text. The words of today's gospel passage were spoken by Jesus on the evening when he and his disciples were gathered for a family meal right before the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. The disciples don't know it quite yet, but this is to be the Last Supper before Jesus travels on to his death. These men, the 12 disciples, have been making their home with the man Jesus for some time now. And just days earlier, they had been part of an invigorating public parade, celebrating the future that Jesus was leading them into on Palm Sunday. And the disciples could feel that something greater and more lasting might be right around the corner. Things in the larger political arena seemed at that moment like they might be taking a turn in the right direction a direction where the disciples and other right-minded people would be in charge. No doubt there were lively visions of greater security and stability for the Jewish people. But now, on this night, the mood has taken a dark turn. The triumphal march is over, and Jesus has just made the shocking announcement that one of their company is about to betray him. And this betrayal is not just a betrayal of friendship, of course, this former disciple has just signed a death warrant for Jesus and propelled the other disciples right into harm's way as well. This fellowship has been shamefully and irretrievably broken. And add to this the fact that Jesus, who sometimes ruins even a good mood with confusing and mysterious statements, he's returned to a theme that has always bothered them. He's talking about going somewhere that they cannot follow. Now, this isn't new talk. He said this stuff like this before, but there's a new urgency, and Jesus himself is visibly troubled. He's deeply troubled, Scripture says. Now, Peter, perhaps motivated by a desire to help Jesus out, which is always a suspicious impulse, declares that whatever disaster is threatening, he, Peter, will remain faithful and strong. Except, of course, that he won't. And Jesus has to call him out on that and explain that Peter is not going to be the rock this time. Peter, too, one of the strongest and most outspoken members of their fellowship, 
will crumble in the face of fear. Everything this band of brothers have been working for is shaking loose, and the company is about to be scattered. This is an opportune time and place, then, to stand with the disciples as their lives are being shaken apart. It's a good time to ask the same hard questions that we experience in our own seasons of homelessness. Here are three questions that we can ask of Jesus in this text. One, where is our home? Two, how do we get there? And three, what happens when we follow Jesus home? As Jesus and his followers begin their descent into darkness and instability, and before we really get to these questions, it's good to note what Jesus doesn't say at this moment. He does not encourage the disciples to think like Peter, prescribing a hearty dose of self-reliance. He doesn't encourage Peter to just believe in himself and he'll make it through. He doesn't take offensive military action or initiate political protest. He doesn't advise withdrawal or retreat. When faced with chaos, threat, and confusion, Jesus completely resists the urge to move into problem-solving mode. Instead, Jesus chooses this moment, here at the end of the world, to address their unspoken longing for home. This is a longing shared by all people at all times, this longing for a permanent place of welcome, safety, nurture, love. Without knowledge of home, we cannot endure the tragedies, instability, and loneliness of our lives. In this time of greatest need, Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. My father's, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He answers that basic human question, where is our home, with the assurance that our home is with the Father. The Father has a home for us. The Father's house is where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell together eternally in perfect unity and love. And we were created to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is and always has been the desire of the Father for us. Jesus says, in my house are many dwelling places. And sometimes this phrase, dwelling places, is translated as mansions. But it's more accurate to think of these dwelling places as apartments or flats in the mansion of the Father. Picture one grand communal home with a multitude of rooms, one for every member of the family where we gather under one sheltering roof in a magnificent house dedicated to the glory of God. This is what the Father has in mind for each one of us since before we were born. But when we ran away from the Father, our sin and rebellion made it impossible for us to return home on our own. We were lost and far from home. And we experience the separation in the loneliness and isolation that we feel in our daily lives to a greater or a lesser extent. 
our experiences of spiritual homelessness testify to the distance that sin has created between us and the Father. We've lost our way and have been living more or less chronically in a state of spiritual homelessness, threatened in body and spirit, confused and displaced. It shouldn't be surprising then that when Jesus goes on to say, you know the way where I am going, Thomas protests and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Thomas speaks for all of us when he confesses his uncertainty and confusion about our home and how we're going to get there. This opens the door for Jesus to proclaim the gospel to him and to us. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If our home is with the Father or even in the Father, the only way home is through Jesus. Though we inhabit an unstable and often hostile land, in his love and longing for us, the Father sends Jesus to fetch us home. And it's not so much that Jesus has to prepare a place for us. The Father's house already waits in readiness But the Father has asked the Son to prepare the way back home to the Father for us. Through his life, his ministry, his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus himself has become our way home to the Father. On the night before his death here, Jesus explains that the road back home is almost clear, and he needs to leave them now to finish. Yes, he is leaving them now. He's going to go to his death. And shortly after that, he'll leave them again to ascend to the Father after the resurrection. But the reason he leaves is to clear the path home for us so that he can take us home with him. For all those who put their trust in Jesus, the inevitable end of the trajectory of our lives is this, to dwell with him in the house of the Father forever. Our home is in the bosom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the way home. Now, if you're tracking with our three questions, you might notice that we've touched on the first two. So here's a pop quiz. You don't actually have to answer out loud. Um, The first question, where is our home? With the Father. The second question, how can we get there? The answer is through Jesus. But if you're like me, The second answer in particular may seem a little unsatisfying. It is a theologically accurate answer, and most people who are even a little bit familiar with the claims of Christianity have probably heard the idea that Jesus is somehow our through way to God. But we know that we need more for survival and thriving than an idea or an abstract truth or a promise of life that won't really kick in until the end of time. And Jesus is the way, the life, the truth, and the life. How then can we follow Jesus in such a way that we can stay connected to our home in the here and now? If Jesus is leading us home, how can we lean into that reality right now, today? How can we live like people who have a home and a father? Well, the primary thing that Jesus asks of us not only in this short passage, but all throughout the Gospel of John, is that we believe. Over and over and over in the book of John, we see Jesus looking us full in the eye 
and simply asking us to believe him. The Gospel of Matthew uses the word believe about nine times, the Gospel of Mark 15 times, the Gospel of Luke 10 times, but the Gospel of John uses the word believe an astonishing 84 times. And every single time, it's in the context of believing in Jesus. Now, does this get us any further ahead? (laughs) Believe in Jesus may not be any easier to sink your teeth into than Jesus is the way home when our hearts are troubled. Philip doesn't seem to think so. Show us the Father, he says to Jesus, and then we'll know. If we can see the Father, that will be enough. And Jesus doesn't argue with Philip. He doesn't tell them that they don't need to see the Father. When we are homeless, lost, vulnerable, surrounded by smoke and sirens, we need to see the Father if we're going to be at home in him. Jesus tacitly agrees that we need to see the Father, but he says to Philip, because you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in in Jesus, and over and over in this little passage, Jesus beats the same drum. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It may sound as crazy to us as it did to the disciples, but Jesus tells us very explicitly that as we come to know him, as we come to trust him, as we come to believe him, we come home to the Father. The word believe is so much more than intellectual assent. True belief involves every aspect of our lives. When we believe in Jesus, not just in our thoughts or with our minds, but when we invest ourselves, as we invest ourselves fully and wholly in Jesus, we draw near to the Father and we draw near to home. Now, you won't find the word obey in this passage. We stop right here at verse 14. The very next verse, verse 15, we hear Jesus say, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if we read just a few paragraphs backwards into chapter 13, Jesus issues a command to love. And he talks about how blessed we are if we do the things we know. If believing in Jesus is too vague a concept, please understand that belief in Jesus and obedience to Jesus are two sides of the same coin. If you feel troubled today about the weakness of your faith or discouraged by doubts that dog your belief in Jesus, this is a cause for rejoicing. The avenue of acting in obedience to Jesus is always open. After the death of Mother Teresa, the difficulty that she had in feeling close to God has become more widely known. For the greater part of her life and ministry, she did not feel the presence of God. She didn't feel the presence of her father. And this is a great sorrow to her. And yet, it could not be clearer that the love and presence of the father was with her in abundance. Her obedience was an extension of her faith in Jesus, and it was also a conduit of his love toward her. If Jesus is truly one with the Father, 
it stands to reason that every act of obedience, every step of following him brings us into deeper intimacy and unity with the Father. Everything that we say or do in imitation of Christ as we follow him brings us closer to home. So when we ask, how do we come home? The answer is threefold. We come home through Jesus, the things that he did that no one else could do. We come home by grace through our faith in Jesus. And we come home by glorifying God through word and deed. And since we're intent on following Jesus home, let's look more closely about how Jesus glorified the Father. Jesus said in verse 10, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. One commentator describes the unity of the Father and the Son like this. The speech and action of the Son are that of the Father in him, and the Father's speech and actions come to finality in Jesus. Now, it's important to note, though, that the word translated as works does not simply mean action. It can mean miracle. And most importantly for understanding these verses, it can also mean sign. Signs, in biblical terms, are anything that point to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God come to save us. Signs, then, are what point us toward home. Sometimes these signs were extraordinary miracles that Jesus did, and sometimes they were his ordinary acts of love. Everything Jesus said and did was part of the Father's mission to bring us home to himself. Just like Nome, whose dad was willing and able to lead him out of destruction and death to return safely home, we have a Father in heaven eager to take us by the hand and lead us home. But that's not all to the story. The final verses of our passage have kind of a surprise ending, and they answer the question, what happens as we follow Jesus home? Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works, signs that I do, he will do also, and greater works or signs than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus declares that the mission of the Father is now passing to the disciples as they follow him. The disciples are now going to do the same thing that the Father had Jesus doing, and more. And it's not just the disciples who will carry on the mission. The mission has been entrusted to everyone who believes in Jesus. Truly, truly, he says, you and I, everyone who believes in him, will do the same work and greater works than Jesus in the work of pointing the way home to the Father. Greater works doesn't mean greater miracles necessarily, though many who believe in Jesus do perform miracles in his name. But it does mean that even as Jesus returns to the Father, his work this work of bringing people, pointing people toward the Father and home continues through us. It's in this context that Jesus promises to do anything that we ask in his name so that the Father continues to be glorified. So what happens as we follow Jesus? 
we become signposts to others pointing the way home. Do you remember the trampolines that Nome drew in the morning right after 9-11? Less than 24 hours after his father brought him home, Nome started imagining ways that others could be saved. And just a few short weeks after losing Jesus to the trauma of death, the disciples started living out the mission of Jesus, and the gospel love of the Father began spreading outward from Jerusalem to Judea, out into all the ends of the earth. Jesus leads us home, home to where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make a dwelling place for us in the center of his love. And as we move homeward, pressing in toward Jesus in faith and obedience, we glorify the Father as we point others the way home. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.